Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. My name is Mark B, and joining me today is somebody I'm honestly just kind of astonished that I was able to con into having on the podcast, Mr. Hamish Black. How you doing today, sir? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. No, no conning was involved, Mark. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Shh, you're ruining my gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm doing okay, man. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm tired. I am uh, preparing to go to E3 and do all that stuff. But you know, it's all it's all coming together, and it's it's all happening. And I'm trying to trying to keep ahead of it all. So yeah. But how about you, man? How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm happy to be not necessarily going to E3 this year. Just trying to relax, take everything in stride. I yep. will I will definitely say if you are not a big fan of walking E3 is going to murder you. I am quite a big fan of walking so I'm 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 okay with that. What I'm not a big fan of is heat. So maybe walking in mid June LA heat will probably kill me but I don't know. We'll we'll see. Yeah, fortunately you probably won't have to do that too much because most of the yeah. stuff takes place in one gigantic convention center and then they usually have like a shuttle to take you back and forth between your hotel right okay. so you probably won't be outside unless you're smoking or whatever ah uh, well i mean uh I, I i mean my hotel for the two weeks i'm there is my my podcast co-host nico his couch so it's, uh, ah. yes well then just be like uh, listen drive faster <laughs> exactly nico is my chauffeur nice uh, don't tell him I said that. No. Tell um, what? <laughs> yeah, he's going to hear this when he comes back. He's like, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, I specifically but yeah. wanted to get you onto the podcast because and I've kind of wanted been talking. I have kind of wanted to talk about this idea for a while. Just mm-hmm. discuss the idea of how game review as a thing has changed and evolved. Just even in as little as the past few years. Because... When video game reviews first started, and again, this is especially from my perspective because I've been alive as long as video game reviews have been a thing. Yes, I'm old. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> so it's it's weird to see just how much things have changed and in some respects how much they haven't. For those who have not been around for years and years, just as kind of a primer, video game review as a thing just kind of started from fanzines, fan-created magazines, which Mm -hmm. was actually a thing that you could do back in the 70s and the 80s, where just people who loved a particular hobby or a particular enthusiast thing would get together and make little pamphlets, little small magazines that they would distribute. And the first one, as far as gaming was concerned, was a magazine called Electronic Games, which debuted in 1981. I want to say, was created by Bill Kunkel, Arnie Katz, and Joyce Worley, and basically established everything about game review as we understood it for years. The core format that they created is what ultimately created EGM with its four-person review scores, and for things that actually still exist in the modern day, Famitsu took a lot of its core ideas from what they did. And back in the day, it was basically just a consumer reports type scenario where you would have three, four people sit down, talk about their opinions of a game, and then give it some type of a numbered score. And from there, we kind of go into, 
you know, how EGM, I, uh, EGM, Game Pro, Nintendo Power do their sorts of things with the various numbered scores, mm-hmm. the bright, colorful colors, things of that nature, just trying to appeal to anybody who is an enthusiast in the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting for me because I, I am obviously, I, I have done my reading on on like the 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 Kunkel stuff and uh, electronic games and you know a kind of rough timeline, but for me, as someone playing games, my first kind of exposure to to game reviews where I was actually paying attention to the words was GameSpot back in you know kind of late nineties, early early two thousands and stuff where they were kind of just. I mean, they weren't the first to do the video review thing, but they were certainly the most prominent, I would say. And yeah, that that's, that like before that, I would read, you know, I I would read uh, official PlayStation magazine. I kind of started reading that from pretty much as early as I remember having a PlayStation. But uh, yeah, then it, then it just I I kind of I would go around to my friend's house because we didn't have internet in our house for a long time and. Uh, just I'd watch these video reviews for ages and start to get to know like Jeff Gersman and Ryan Davis and uh Greg Kasavin and stuff like that. So I guess like that's that's kind of my my in in terms of where I started engaging with reviews and stuff. Like what what about you? Like were you were you kind of interested in it from the very start or were or was there a point at which you kind of inserted yourself into it? I feel like I was always into the idea of video game review. Mm-hmm. As, as far as I can recall, game reviews have always been around, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, the first time I can really remember being into gaming at all, I was, like, four or five years old. And mm-hmm. at that point, you know, electronic games had been around for years. So it's, it's, game review was always there. I was never a Nintendo kid growing up. I was always a Sega kid. So, you know, I had... Sega Visions magazine, which is something that, like, five people out there will probably remember and go, oh, yeah, (laughs) I saw that. But beyond that, it was GamePro and EGM were the Bibles of the day, for lack of a better way of describing it. And you would always have that exposure to the print media and to, later on, electronic media, where you would have just reviews being written, you would have features being written. And I was always engaged with the idea of it. I don't think there was ever specifically a point where I was like, that's what I want to do with my life or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But there was definitely points where it was, you know, wow, this would be a really cool thing to be able to do. And like, it just never occurred to me that that would be a thing that would be accessible for everyone to do. Like the internet blowing that wide open was never a thing that I would have conceived of until it actually happened. I mean, it's interesting that you were talking about how it kind of started as like a zine thing, because to me, when I think of zines, I think of the punk scene that I kind of came up in, in terms of music and stuff. And like, it's weird to think of the internet and the criticism that came from that as an extension of zine culture, where it's like, this is not just limited to to the select few that have the money to afford print resources and stuff, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the thing that appealed to me about places like GameSpot at the time was this idea that you just had a bunch of 
morons in a room not really knowing what they were doing and just kind of seeing what happened like there was a real kind of like diy makeshift feel to it and stuff and i'm 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 trying to like place a point where criticism kind of became more than that because for a while to me anyway that's kind of what it always seemed like it was hey we're gamers and we're just talking about video games and we don't know anything about this media stuff we'll just talk about it and see what happens so yeah i don't know if there was i'm trying to think if there was ever a point at which that was something more serious i mean was was the i say this as someone who isn't like wholly familiar with um the really early stuff was that kind of what it was always like yes yeah okay there was always this very rockstar mentality to gaming or a nerdier version of rockstar mentality i should say Yes, yeah. Video game writing has never been at a point where we have had, like, an old man Roger Ebert sitting there mm-hmm. with decades of experience who's, like, this 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 old man of culture and the the scene who's talking about everything. And it's like, back in my day! <laughs> and, like, they're, they're, that's never been a thing because the people from the 80s who started out doing this stuff are mostly not involved anymore. Bill Katz, you know, Bill Kunkel is dead. Yes. Arnie Katz and Joyce Worley are long retired. People from the 80s who were doing this kind of work are mostly completely out of the industry or have gone to do something completely different. The the, the old people of our genre are gone in a lot of respects. And it's mm-hmm. we are constantly upgrading to new formats that give new public faces a chance to shine, which is really interesting like we have never gotten out of zine mentality we have never gotten out of that i'm just doing this thing because i've been lucky enough to be picked out sort of thing like back in the 80s when everything first started it was a couple of people who loved making what like stuff about gaming who decided to make a magazine it got picked up by corporate culture but it was never people writing the stuff who were corporate types And then just as video game magazines started really settling in for the long haul, boom, the internet shows up and you've got these people who are just, fuck it, making their own gaming review websites, which are being bought out. And then just as gaming websites are starting to settle in for the long haul, boom, video culture becomes a thing. And then like stream culture becomes a thing. And now you're at this point where anybody can just become a minor celebrity through doing interesting and different YouTube videos and interesting and different live streams and whatever. And all of the stuff that I grew up with, GamePro, EGM, Nintendo Power, has been gone for years at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the classic thing that everyone always talks about, you know, print media is dead and stuff, you know. The few kind of relics of that era that are left are very much pushed to the side i guess because i th- I think a lot of that has to come down to the instantaneous nature in which we get news and reviews and verdicts on things and stuff because it's i i, I was in a store the other day and saw a copy of official playstation magazine and they were talking about some fucking game reveal that had already occurred two months ago or whatever like talking about it as if it was this exclusive thing that they were getting and i was like man there was a time at which all the news that we got was from these magazines we'd be getting it like a month late and to think of that now is absurd i think that kind of plays into the kind of 
to put it in a wanky way, the kind of modes of criticism that have kind of evolved right now. Because as you say, like there are many people that turn to people like streamers for their verdicts on video games because streamers, the, the, the very nature of that is, okay, we are experiencing this now. Here is my verdict now. There's arguably some level of truth in that because there's there's no time to formulate thoughts. There's no time to put those onto paper. It, it's just it, there's it's, it's a kind of barefaced form of criticism and stuff. And like I think I think it's interesting that the death of print media, the reasons for that, have kind of also played into why the new modes of criticism have kind of become so successful. I don't know if that makes any sense or whatever. I feel like it uh, definitely. I feel like it does, and I feel like. What we have in the wake of the death of print as a concept is this sort of pastiche of gaming review types that are just very much all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody is defining the style by which we do things. You have your Kotaku, which is basically still, after years and years, a blog role for yeah. all logistical intents and purposes. You have your GameSpots and your IGNs, which are just review websites. They they basically just exist to put up featurettes on new things that are coming out or just retrospectives on stuff, but otherwise just exist to throw out the standard game review with the standard score. Mm-hmm. You have your polygons and your vices that are there to attempt to provide something akin to a more nuanced criticism of games that kind of sort of are still borrowing from the GameSpot IGN aesthetic, but are also trying to provide nuanced content to a certain degree. And then you have just the individual contributors who are just kind of out there making whatever it is that interests them. From, you know, Felix, who is making just random commentaries on stuff in between videos of him screaming into the camera and doing whatever the fuck. Yeah. To, you know, Chris Franklin and yourself and Noah Gervais talking more thought-oriented things, talking about more criticism that is in the idea of trying to evolve what we think of gaming in general, like trying to be more art criticism than Mm -hmm. this game is really pretty and it plays nice. And it's, it's, you have so many different avenues of criticism at this point just so many different people who are approaching the idea that it's there's no one place that people go outside of maybe ign to get their information yeah totally it's it's interesting because the reviews that ign and gamespot do i mean well actually probably less so for ign for gamespot anyway the reviews like you say seem seem to be like the bread and butter of that site they're definitely the things that traffic the best you know and you, you you've seen sites like gamespot try to branch out into other kind of featurettes and stuff and you can see from the numbers they don't do nearly as well so you have a lot of these individual like channels and stuff kind of picking up that slack you know people maybe don't go to GameSpot for the kind of featurettes and stuff because GameSpot has established itself as very much a review-focused thing, whereas, without wishing to blow my own trumpet around, and people like myself have kind of... My my kind of critical voice, I suppose, is kind of exploring 
why we feel the way we do when we play you know it's like like you say it's it's not just like oh this game's pretty or this game plays well or whatever it's like okay why do you think that what drives us to to define this as good and this is bad and stuff i think it's all about like kind of carving out a, a kind of niche within that review space that kind of makes the difference like GameSpot and IGN very much carved out okay we're consumer focused like product reviews and stuff and therefore when they try to do other things it spreads out too thin I guess and I think that's part of the reason you see them saying you know ah, there's just not that much money in games coverage anymore so they're branching out into nerd culture and everything It's, it's just interesting to see how that's kind of evolved over the years I guess. Yeah, the one thing that's really interesting to me is that if you look at the way current content creators do things, it's really amusing to see how, and this is not a thing that I think is good, let's be clear, video game reviews feed the paycheck so that you can make things that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing I've seen firsthand through the diehard game fan analytics. If you look at hit counts in any given month, the things that generally hit the most are stuff from underrepresented communities, Pokemon, and game reviews. Yeah. Like, that's a constant. Stuff from underrepresented communities being tabletop write-ups. Anything that we do regarding tabletop is going to consistently hit well because most places that are doing tabletop are independent fan ventures very few organizations exist that are major funded entities that talk tabletop stuff yes yeah pokemon is fucking pokemon that's gonna be around long after we're dead (laughs) somehow nintendo found the perfect way of making a yellow electric rat into a thing that will generate (laughs) all the fucking money forever Yeah. yeah for sure But game reviews feed that monkey, metaphorically, on the back of game criticism. And you can look at the way different websites structure their format, whether it's, again, a Kotaku, which is a blog role that's updating constantly and trying to draw eyes in, or Mm -hmm. a Polygon that features its features on its front page as the front and center things. Game review is what... I really hate to use this, but it's the simplest way I can come up with it. Brings the boys to the yard, so to say. <laughs> it's because, a very milkshake. Exactly. Because it's, it's, it's the thing that you're going to see everywhere. It's going to be shared everywhere. People are going to be sharing it on Twitter, on Facebook, on GameVax, on, you know, NG4, on NeoGAF, on Reddit, on everything. Video game reviews, and of course, on Metacritic. You're going to see yeah. all of your traffic, the majority of your traffic is... People who are going to be coming in from aggregator places where they discuss reviews, whether it's Mm -hmm. your favorite game forum, an actual aggregation site, or whatever. And then once people see your critical voice and like your critical voice, that's when they're going to come back for your featurettes. And that kind of sucks if you're somebody who really loves features and isn't super into the whole putting a number to a game process. Yeah, yeah. Like... I just as an example, I can't imagine at the end of the day that Sterling is super happy that most of his site has to be game reviews. Yeah, yeah, I can I, I can imagine that. I mean, 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like whenever Jim Sterling posts a game review, there's always some kind of controversy surrounding that that results in his fucking site going down and, you know, people talking about it as if it's the end of the fucking world. So I can't imagine it's too enjoyable an experience for him. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine that with Jim, I, I, I would, I would have thought that with Jim, the main thing would actually be the like the Jimquisition and like not necessarily the reviews or whatever. But I guess the reviews will still drive traffic to the site and that will drive people to the Jimquisition and stuff. You know, it's it's all it, it's all a kind of cyclical thing, I guess. You know, it all feeds it all feeds the same thing in that case, but. I, like you say, there is definitely, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because Danny O'Dwyer, for example, who recently, well, I say recently, it was like a year ago now, uh, left GameSpot and started no clip. He has kind of gone into some of the things, you know, talking about how GameSpot was kind of working and what kind of things it was moving towards and how he wasn't happy with that. And the point was some of the best stuff GameSpot ever did in my eyes. The point being the series that he hosted on there that was kind of smaller form versions of what he's doing now with Noclip, kind of uh, feature app pieces, sometimes documentarian in nature. And he would talk about how he would put all this work into, like, he, he, I remember he really hyped up a piece about uh, Tony Hawk and how he met Tony Hawk uh, some E3, uh, it wasn't wasn't last year's, it was the year before that, I think. And he and it's, it's a great piece, it's still up there, you can still watch it, and uh, it's really, really good, and he was saying how much hard work he put into it, kind of talking to Tony and then exploring skate culture and doing all that. It's really well shot as well, and then he said the numbers were really disappointing. You know, it's, I think it got like 40,000 views or something, and when when your channel has like, 2.5 million subscribers th- those kind of numbers ain't great i mean i i don't know we're, ki- we're kind of going off the game review thing but i i guess like to me things like the point were always I-, I would take part of my views of a game from places like that i i, I the, the thing is i think the key thing with reviews or games criticism in general for me anyway it's not just oh, the review's out, that's the final thing, that's where I'm taking my view from. For me, viewing a game critically is an ongoing process that involves reading and consuming and thinking about many different facets of a game as time goes on. So it's like, to me, I've posted reviews on my channel before and had people say, this isn't a review, this is a critique, or you know, this should be labelled as such. And I'm like, what difference does it make to, to me, it kind of like, I kind of view it all as contributing to the same goal, which is coming to a greater understanding of what this game is trying to do and why we enjoy it and stuff. And things like The Point and things like more featurette-focused things allow us to gain an understanding of the context under which it was made, for example, that can then contribute to a greater understanding of what the text, the game, the piece of media we are looking at is trying to achieve. So yeah, I I don't know. I, I like I think there a lot of people view game reviews with a kind of finality, and I know I certainly did. I I always thought that the GameSpot reviews back in the day were like okay, months and months of preview coverage and 
clips and everything were leading up to this moment and this is the final verdict of the game but i feel like as i've gotten older and i, I i've kind of viewed it as less cemented i guess yeah i, I don't know what you kind of think about that that, that as seeing games criticism as this kind of ongoing thing rather than just okay the review is the final point <laughs> yeah I, I honestly kind of feel like games criticism is a much more valuable thing than game review on the whole, mm-hmm. just because we're starting to see how game review as an entity is becoming this old, long in the tooth dinosaur. Because games yeah. aren't, games don't follow the same rules as books or movies or music CDs. You don't just buy them from the store and then you're done. Yeah. Games criticism as an evolving process, I think, is interesting. And that's one of the things I really like about where game critique game culture is now game review as a whole is if i'm being 100 percent honest kind of useless and reviewers themselves are kind of saying that without saying that because we'll see <laughs> commentaries where they people can't figure out what to do with reviews anymore like take a look at the controversy surrounding the recent prey release <laughs> a reviewer i want to say it was for polygon i don't remember where uh, the... It was, it was, it was this the bug thing? Yes. This was IGN. IGN, yeah. okay. Yeah. Played the PC version of Prey and couldn't complete it because there was a game-breaking bug in it. And the situation was such that the choices at that point were write a review with the game-breaking bug in mind or wait some indeterminate amount of time into the future for this bug to be patched. Bethesda had no real useful game review policy in place for what to do here because their their position on game review has been hostile at best. So, you know, your choices are wait and hope that each day that ticks down isn't that much lost content review hit count wise, excuse me, Mm -hmm. isn't that much lost hit count wise, or push that review out in an unfunctional state. And they chose pushed the review out in a functional state. And the game was eventually patched and the review was updated, but the aggregate site Metacritic will never go back and update that. Mm-hmm. And people lost their fucking minds. Yep. <laughs> and and for me, it's game review is useful in that regard. I'd like to know if a game that I'm going to buy is coming into my grubby little nubbies <laughs> broken. Yeah. I don't I don't want to buy a game that doesn't fucking work until I know that it has a chance of fucking working. For, for sure. I mean, that, that that for me was a lot of people were talking about it. Oh, you, you should have waited until all the patches were out. There are games that are patched like years after their release, you know, it, like at what point do you say, okay, this is passable to review or whatever? No, you, you review the game you're given and whether that's a problem of things like these sites having to hit embargo like it's another story entirely and for me it was it was kind of interesting one of my friends posted saying it it was a kind of side by side of this same guy who reviewed fallout 4 and said you know gave it like something like a nine or something and said oh it's just got a few bugs here and you know fallout 4 being an infamously buggy game in a lot of ways and then saying you know prey gets a four because it's buggy you know but there's a there's a difference i think like prey for him was legitimately broken it, it he couldn't complete the game and like you say that's valuable information that's i i it plays into this whole thing 
of kind of gamer mentality where it's like a consensus is set before any reviews have come out and and anyone who doesn't adhere to that consensus is automatically just put through the fucking ringer you know and it's and these people don't realize that like they like to talk about you know objectivity and game reviews and all that kind of stuff but these people have been completely overwhelmed by like they've been completely controlled by marketing you know it's the the marketing cycles for these things have been going on for months and months and months and that has generated this purely subjective thing in people's minds as to what a game is going to be like and anyone who disagrees with that is wrong and i think that was just i think that situation was just a really concentrated form of that where a guy was like hey this game didn't work for me uh, heathen heathen get him off the site fire him you know all that stuff so yeah i don't know <sighs> my thing is i don't really feel like game review is necessarily useful anymore assigning a number to a game based on your opinions of it is fine and it helps to a certain extent but i like the evolved idea of games criticism as a concept because we can see how that can actually help inform ideas of stuff that you might not have bought up front or that you might have seen something on and skipped over because you didn't like what was there at the moment. As an example, say I didn't buy Alien Isolation when it came out for one reason or another. Game review, it's, okay, here's what I think of Alien Isolation, boom, here's the score I have attached to it, we're never going to come back to this fucking thing ever again, deuces, and we're out. And for games criticism, it's... You know, Noah Gervais made multiple videos talking about what's the status of Alien Isolation's DLC, keeping mm -hmm. people aware of what was happening with this game as time went on. And for me, it's that's one of the things I kind of love about modern game discussion is that reviews still exist. I can still go to Polygon or IGN or GameSpot if I want to see a number attached to people talking about a game. Yeah. But there are so many other places now that I can go where I can get different information, information that is more useful to me and can allow me to either discover games I've never heard of before or to think about games in a different way from how I did. So it's whether it's, you know, going to Errant Signal to discover indie games I never would have played and to see ruminations on, you know, stuff from Davy Reedon and whatnot, or mm. it's, you know, going to Noah Caldwell Gervais' videos to see what the status is of new DLCs for games, or to be reminded of stuff like Clive Barker's Undying that I haven't thought of in over a decade, yeah. or if it's going to your channel and, like, seeing more involved discussions about elements of Dark Souls and The Legend of Zelda and Tony Hawk, games I either haven't touched in years or I haven't played it's there's that opportunity there to have an actual discussion about gaming that doesn't end with to borrow from your podcast seven out of ten too much shit <laughs> good reference good reference I I think the thing is like like you say it is kind of useless because for me when I was reading those reviews, when I was reading the reviews in in official PlayStation magazine, I wasn't even really reading those words. I was 
looking at screenshots and looking at the number because it's like, okay, that's a representation of how good this game is or whatever. When it came to GameSpot video reviews, it was, here is footage of this game running and here is what we think of it because you might you might not have had a chance to see this game in motion and you almost certainly will not have had a chance to play it without actually buying it first. So, you know, that that is useful. That has a practical purpose of showing people exactly what a game is like. Now, though, we can go anywhere. Like, you can go to Twitch, see any schmuck playing a game, even if you don't want to hear, like, some fucking dude bro talking about how this this thing is mellow in his fucking vape sesh or whatever. Like, you know, it, you can mute that. <laughs> it's like, maybe there'll be a haze of smoke over the screen that, you know, will make it harder to see. But you, you, can, you can see footage wherever and say, okay, this falls in line with games that I own and like, or this looks like it would play into my tastes or whatever. At that stage, why do you need a number? Why do you need someone saying, this is what is in the game? The graphics are this good. The, the graphics are eight good. You know, it, like, what does that matter? Like, you have eyes. You can see this for yourself now. It's it's a YouTube search away. So I guess it's just a change in context has changed the, the meaning that these things held, you know? I, I mean, it's it's interesting because I just put out a video about context and changing meanings and stuff. And it's interesting that we're getting to this point now where things like context are coming into it and it's i put out that video regarding spec ops and vanquish and saying you know spec ops is a spec ops is a response to a particular era of video games the further we move from that era how meaningful does that become like does that retain its meaning when we're no longer in this kind of glut of jingoistic shooters you know and a lot of people were saying hey, other media has been created in response to whatever came before it, and we still view those as important. And I'm like, yeah, but other media, like literature and film and stuff, is also taught. It's not just... Like, games are taught, but they're usually taught in terms of how you make them. Literature and film are taught in terms of these are the classics and these are how you analyse them. You know, I, I, I say this as someone who studied fucking literature for four years. Games don't necessarily have that yet where you're taught about the text and you're taught about the context that gives that text meaning. Like, the, the, the industry is moving forward to a point where those are the kinds of things that criticism, I think, needs to go into a bit more just in a kind of preservationist sense because just saying what's in a game in terms of, like, its graphics and its mechanics and stuff doesn't tell you anything about why that is a meaningful experience that you should partake in. So I guess as time moves forward, the criticism has to evolve and almost kind of talk about games. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do this, but just kind of talk about games in a sense that people can look back on this stuff and still say, okay, that was meaningful for this reason. Whereas, like, a lot of the kind of old guard of criticism, of review and of criticism and stuff maybe doesn't have that in the same way. Yeah, and it's, I feel like that's where you're starting to see the line be drawn as far as what exists now versus what is clearly becoming the future of game criticism. 
sites like GameSpot and IGN, and to a certain extent, Kotaku, are mostly hanging on the old techniques that they use because they've always worked and always will work, which is wrong, but that's how that mentality goes. This has always worked. This always will work. So I will keep doing this. So you have a two-page review that doesn't really address much beyond the technical specifics of the game with a number attached to the end of it. And then you see people who are trying to evolve out of that, who may still be attaching that number to the end of it, but are trying to make something that is more meaningful as a piece of content and may not be attaching that number to it at all. And I feel like the most heartening thing is that a lot of people are still very much losing their fucking minds over that number at the end. You know, how could you give this game a seven? How could you give this game a nine? How could you, whatever. But a lot of people are actively attaching themselves to things where the number doesn't matter. Like years ago, over on GameFan, our head guy, Alex Lucard, said, you know, we are not going to have scores anymore. We're just going to use words instead of numerical values, and we will leave it as an exercise to the reader to figure out if these words, you know, mean something numerically, because we were just tired of everything that had to be done as it related to justifying yourself to a review score crowd. Because when we were doing scores, you would get shit from people mm -hmm. if you gave a game a score that they didn't like. We got delisted from Game Rankings, which was the de facto review site, the review aggregator back in the day, because Sega didn't like a review that we did. And it's crazy. Yeah, like they, I mean, I'm going to be clear here. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the particular review that got us delisted. I, I will defend anybody's ability to say what they want about a particular property, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't my hill to die on there. But yeah, for sure. That particular review got us delisted just because they didn't like the numbers that we gave. So we stopped giving numbers. We just used qualitative words on a scale of one to ten. And we avoided giving people context clues to give those num those words numerical value. We didn't. We wanted people to just look at it and think, you know, well, this is probably good because we eventually wanted to decondition people from having to rely on those numbers. And then after a while, we just stripped the words out entirely. We just stopped assigning scores. This review stands as the body of my opinion on this game. If you want a rough estimation of what I think, there's a short attention span summary at the end, but that's still a paragraph. You're going to have to put some effort into fucking reading the goddamn thing. And yeah. I feel like more and more people are starting to get on board with that. You know, like we're seeing people who can sit down and watch a 10 or 15 minute long video on a game in some capacity or another to get a sense of what the reviewer thought. We're seeing people who can read a five or ten page review on a game to get a sense of what the reviewer thought. And that's heartening because it's I don't I don't want us to continue to be in a situation where everything has to be how many stars did it get? Alright, I'll buy it. Or fuck you or whatever. To you know to to call back to the podcast they did with Nico, I want fanboyism to be less and less of a gut reaction thing. 
I want people to get more in tune with the idea of reading through a review and figuring out what people liked and disliked about a game before responding so it's not just, you didn't like the game that I like, fuck you, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th I think that it's interesting because it plays into the idea of active versus passive readership, you know? Like, part of the reason I started doing video essays was, it, it was a conscious thing. I was like, okay, YouTube is... Uh, is a very easy way to to see growth it's a very easy way to build an audience because it's it's very visible and stuff and also if, if i just started a blog i'd be putting out these pieces which are at the, at the start anyway they were very esoteric you know i started talking about fucking brechtian fractured narrative theory in as it relates to her story and stuff and people wouldn't want to sit down and read that necessarily like reading is a very active thing and like there there is obviously like that's great there there's like a, a huge amount of merit to that but my goal in it was to try and bring these bigger ideas to an audience that might not want to put in the effort you know um or maybe kind of get them to a point where they did want to put in the effort to go and read more you know in-depth criticism or whatever in in terms of the video format, you're listening. You're not you're not having to like read anything. There's a visual component constantly, which you know usually illustrates the point that you're making in your in your voiceover or whatever. Like so, it it was for me anyway. It was very much a case of like, okay, this is where the readership is at as I see it. How do I, you know, navigate that and try to bring in as many people as I can, whilst also retaining the the depth of critical voice that I want to maintain. And it's it's interesting that, you know, earlier on you were talking about the kind of old guard of game sites still using that same model or whatever and then complaining that it doesn't work later on. And it's like, well, no, you've got to change it up. You've got to start thinking about, okay, what are we talking about here? Does this need a number? Does this, can we be using the visual component in a more illustrative way or whatever? Like, usually it's just a case of like, okay, here's my review that I wrote. Here's some footage over it. And here's the score at the end. And it's like, the reason the score has become such a definitive part of game reviews as we know it is because of the general, I don't want to say laziness, but passivity of that reader base, you know? I mean, I, d I don't doubt that a lot of it is laziness, but it's it's just, that's that's just kind of the way it is at the moment. And to kind of go to your point about numbers mattering in terms of aggregation and stuff, like, I can't believe it's 2017 and we're still getting people talking about Metacritic scores in terms of, oh, you, you reviewed it too low, that means the person's not going to get paid as much. Surely we are past the stage where we we realize that that's a metacritic problem that or that is that that's that's a problem of the system rather than the review. Like surely we sh it's, a, it's a problem with the corporate pay structure that defines what people get paid by a by a metacritic average. Like that's that's not a problem of the people making games. That's not a problem of the people reviewing games, it's not even really a Metacritic problem, it's the problem of the corporate structure that kind of sits above that. 
like surely we can move past that idea surely we can say okay maybe the numbers shouldn't matter in this way even if you want something there that that kind of summarizes a bunch of words into into a numeric value surely you don't still subscribe to because these people don't give a fuck what people are getting paid <laughs> at these companies or whatever they just care that you're bringing down the value of something that they perceive to be at a certain point because the consensus as i mentioned before pre-release was at a certain point you know and it's just it's the constant kind of hypocrisy and right to, to bring it to bring it back to the conversation i had with nico it's people have this idea in mind of the worth of the thing that they are playing and for some of them any negative expression against this thing that they like is a direct challenge to them of you this thing that you love this thing that you have invested yourself into isn't as good as you thought it was mm -hmm. and they for whatever reason can't wrap their head around the idea that people have you know different fucking opinions sometimes and to me it's it's one of the things that i absolutely love about the way in which game review is heading is that's becoming less and less of a problem now. Like, let's be clear. People are showing up in your comments, for example, to say dumb shit. That's oh, for sure. never yeah. going to stop. That is never going to stop. But nobody is showing up in your comments to say, well, you know, you're costing money to this development company yeah. because your thing is doing whatever and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's not happening to game critics. People are mad at you about your opinion, but it's it's a much more naked and transparent anger that you can, you know, dismiss with a wanking motion because it's <laughs> it's it's quite clearly I disagree with your opinion, therefore you are wrong. And I feel like without those numbers attached to it, like actual legitimate criticism, people have to confront actual legitimate criticism. They can't just fall back to you know, you are taking the meat out of this person's mouth. For me personally, I like the idea that we are evolving our, not just our criticism, but our ability to respond to counter-criticism because more and more people are showing game review doesn't have to be two pages of content and a number. It can be so much more than that. Totally. And it's... <sighs> It's interesting because, again, a lot of what this comes down to in people's responses is not like, they, like I say, they don't care about the person getting fed on the other end. It's, you are making me think about things that perhaps suggest that the customer is not always right. That was a big thing that I kept getting on my video about Steam, because a lot of that was like, hey, these critics, they, they label themselves as pro-consumer and it's, that's a proud thing. And I'm like, Sure, there's a place for that, but you have to also realize, like, I fucking worked in retail for a number of fucking years. I know how dumb customers can be. Yeah. <laughs> like, to, to put them on this pedestal and say, hey, you, you, we are doing this for you. This is all for you. Like, no, I mean, it's I, even on that video about Spec Ops, where I, I, I just kind of mentioned the fact that, yeah, this game is about pointing the finger at you and saying, you are responsible for the glut of these shooters you know and the way we view violence as a medium and as a people you know and i got people in my comments saying you know 
oh, that's why I hated that game and I'm surprised you're defending it and stuff because, you know, that's pointing the finger at gamers, man. Like, that's... And I'm like, who gives a fuck? Like, I love art that kind of makes me reflect on my my actions and my mistakes, you know? And for a lot of people, they've just been brought up on this type of criticism or this type of review that is so focused on will you get an enjoyable, ex- a fun experience out of this that to think of anything else feels like wrong to them. It feels like they're being accused of something as opposed to just being asked to reflect on it, maybe. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just it's, it's an interesting thing to see for me. Yeah, and I feel like as more and more games become experiences that require some degree of actual criticism, more and more critics will have to exist. Like, there are a lot of games that are not necessarily going to stand up to the number scoring system, that are not going to necessarily work with a number attached to them, but which will actually be something that you can talk about at length. And I think we've seen a few of them already. Like, the Stanley Parable, I don't think, is necessarily a thing that stands up especially well to numbering. I don't think any Davy Reedon game is something that stands up particularly well to numbering, which, if you look at Jim Sterling's review, is why he numbers the game, but instead tells kind of the story of his life instead of actually describing his experience with the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like you're going to start seeing more and more games that question the nature of play, the state of play, the player's intent, the artist's intent, etc., that are not going to stand up very well to a 5 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10 or a 2 out of 10 without having to develop some degree of critical language. Places like IGN and GameSpot will always exist for major sites, but you know we're, we're going to start seeing the need for less and less numbers and more and more people. Like, we're going we're gonna to need more Phil Kolars, more... Arthur Jai's, more Austin Walkers, more uh, Hamish Blacks, more Chris Franklins, more whoever. Fuck you! I have a really high opinion <laughs> of you, okay? And I will not. I will not stand for you being like, no, I'm not that good. It's it's appreciated. It's appreciated. But it's we need more critics, and it's becoming that we need more critics, and that's great. And that's that's kind of where I want to go. Like with the end of this is. That's where I see this going in the next 10 years. Yes. I see the number being important because the number will always be important. There's always going to be people who need that number. If if that was not important, that wouldn't still exist for movie reviews. It wouldn't still exist for book reviews. But I see that number being less and less important. In 10 years time, I see websites becoming more and more criticism focused, more and more thought process focused more about the intent like i see people like yourself or chris franklin or dan olson or whoever driving criticism forward i p i see actual critical sites trying to take the ideas that we've seen in independent creators not just in gaming like again a dan olson or a Lindsay ellis evolving what we understand to be games criticism into what it can be for sure. And I think what you said earlier is great. It's it's the number will become less important. 
like I'm paraphrasing obviously, but the, the people will become more important. And it's I, I think that it'll become less about viewing games reviews as as coming to a distinct conclusion as to what a game's worth is and more about trying to contribute to some greater truth about what the game is trying to do like i like i said earlier i think it i think it's important that we start to view criticism and reviews as contributing factors rather than the final verdict it's it, it, like and it, it takes a lot of people to contribute to that idea people like myself and chris and like people it, like austin at, at waypoint and patrick and everyone it's all these differing opinions are allowing people like a lot of people talk about you know a lot of people are still trying to talk about objectivity in game reviews and i'm like no we should embrace subjectivity because the combined force of all that subjectivity will allow us to take our own bits and bobs and try to come to some greater personal truth i mean it's like it's the reason why after a while i start like like I say, my early videos were super esoteric. They were written almost as kind of academic pieces almost. And I just thought like, okay, well, that's all well and good. There's a, again, there's a place for that, I guess. But if I start going deeper inside, deeper into myself and trying to reflect, okay, this is what I experienced with the game. Maybe this will resonate with some people. You can take that and say, okay, here are the bits that work for me, here are the bits that don't, you know, and I, I think that is going to become more important as time goes on. It's the reason we start, it's the reason you're seeing a lot more things like retrospectives, like series retrospectives and everything, because it's it's like, okay, we're, we're these series that meant a lot to us at the time, we're in a different place now, what do they mean to us now? How How can we take the things from that that worked and go forward with them? So I, you know, I, I think that that's kind of where it will move towards. It will be more people focused and less product focused because it will be more about how these products affected us emotionally and artistically or whatever, and taking the bits of that that work and going forward with it. Yeah, and I, one thing I really hope that we eventually get past is this whole want for fucking objective reviews because, again, not to not to keep going back into old history, but. I already had that conversation with Crystal Stelton Paul on the podcast, and, you know, not not that I'm the definitive authority, but listen, objective reviews are dick. They're bullshit. They can't fucking happen. <laughs> Alex Kierkegaard was wrong. <laughs> you can't. Icy Calm was wrong. This shouldn't be a fucking surprise to anyone. He's been wrong for years. There's no such thing as a fucking objective video game review. Jesus Christ. I... <laughs> But it's, I hope that goes away. That is the one thing I hope goes away. Because that yeah. is impossible. It is impossible to assign an objective number to a thing that is inherently opinion. I don't care about objectivity in game reviews. I don't care about assigning some type of objective metric because it's not fucking possible. You can't, you, you can't even assign objective values to the review of a car. Which is <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a th an an object thing that that should have definable qualities. I mean, is it, the thing is, then you confront these people and say, "Hey, object objectivity isn't possible here," and they're meaning, "Oh no, we don't like always." They always say, "Oh no, we don't mean like that kind of objective. We just mean a little bit more objective." And okay, so you mean subjective, uh, and and then they're like, then it starts to come out. 
okay, maybe there's some political differences here. Maybe they don't want people talking about games in this particular way because it doesn't fit in with their particular agenda. These people always talk about people trying to push their agenda on others when in reality they're saying, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this. We've all, like no. probably wrap up soon. It's, you know, it's the idea that keep your politics out of it and stuff and these people don't realize the hypocrisy of that, which is that everything is political, and to say to keep your politics out of it is inherently a political stance. <laughs> yeah, like I, so, I, I, yeah. I absolutely don't want to get that into that particular discussion. Yes, I'll for do sure. that another yeah, time. Yeah, totally. yeah. But I mean, that's been a thing that's been around since we were kids. Like Fantasy Star yeah. Two had a political statement: humans are bad and blew up their planet, and that's the end of that game. So it's, it's you know, I don't want to have that conversation anymore. It's I. Yeah. The one thing I actively hope is that we can get to a point where we are having conversations about games that are not about the objectivity of a set of numbers, but are about qualities. Why did this person think this game was this way? Why did this game score in this way? Why does this reviewer have this opinion of this game? Like, I want it to be understood that just because a reviewer thinks that certain aspects of a game aren't great does not mean that a game is inherently bad. You know, I don't I don't want this to be a thing where just because Laura Dale says, I think Persona 5 would have worked better on a handheld, that we can say, all right, but, you know, that's not a thing that matters to me. What's the rest of your opinion? Oh, you liked this game a lot. I probably will, too. I want us to get to a point where people can understand the whole of a conversation. If somebody says, I don't like the thing, people should be able to say, okay, the thing doesn't matter to me, and the rest of your critique is good, I might like this game, instead of it being, fuck you for not liking the thing. And I feel like people are building up audiences that are that way, and I feel like once we get to a point where the culture conversation stops being about fighting for the sake of fighting in 10 years time i think we will be at a better position where we can have more productive conversations not just amongst the fan base that loves this stuff but even amongst people who like other content creators totally yeah and it's it, again it's just it's about each piece of criticism trying to further the conversation rather than the old guard which serve to put a full stop at the end of it you know yeah and it's i kind of i kind of want to leave it i think maybe with this it's at the end of the day the one thing that gives me hope about the idea of where games criticism is going is i personally never would have thought of being in a position where i as a creator could have done the things that i have done and i haven't done a lot let's be clear but I love the fact that we as a whole are going towards the idea where a person who is invested can do something and be someone. 20 years ago, game critics, game criticism was not a personality thing. It was an entity thing. You bought electronic games, you bought EGM, you bought GamePro because you wanted to just see what was in there. The, the fact that the only name in games journalism a lot of people can name from that time period is Bill Kunkel, despite the fact that two other people helped him run electronic games, says a lot. And it's that's the way it was with gaming, too. Like, outside of Hideo Kojima and Shigeru Miyamoto, not a lot of people can name 
people who were important from that time period. Mm -hmm. But as things go on, we're starting to see gaming become as much about personalities as it is about content. So, you know, we're starting to evolve into a position where there can be a gaming Martin Scorsese. But what that also means is that there can be a gaming Roger Ebert. And we're starting to see game content writers becoming entities. It's not just Jim Sterling. It's not just Yashi Croshaw. Like, people know who Chris Franklin is. People know who you are. People listen to this fucking podcast, and I don't know why, but <laughs> it's like... Because it's very, very good. I like to think so, but, you know, it's... it's the thing is, is that we can have a voice and people listen to it, and that's heartening to me, that I don't have to be a part of a group of content creators to be someone that people listen to and think makes stuff that is good, that I don't have to write something and put a number at the fucking end of it for people to pay attention to it. And that, I feel like, is the single biggest positive of the situation, that we exist in a world where everyone can have a voice, and the better that voice is, the more people will listen to it. It isn't just about having someone behind you or having a, a house behind you or whatever. It's about having a voice people want to listen to. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well, on that note, I feel that we have said pretty much everything on this particular topic that we are going to. So I do want to say once again, thank you very much, Mr. Hamish Black, for joining me on this podcast today. I am eternally grateful and I really appreciate it. No, honestly, man, this has been this has been really, really good fun, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, again, thank you for coming, and you are welcome back anytime. Happy, happy to, happy to do so. And for those of you out there, if you liked what you heard today, you can feel free to like, subscribe, and comment. You can find us on SoundCloud over at SoundCloud.com/slash/MarkBWriting, as well as on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever podcasts are hosted. I am still in the process of uploading these over to YouTube, which you can also find over at my channel, Mark B. Writing. If you want to follow along on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark B. Writing and on Facebook at Mark B. Writing Home. And you can check out my live streams on Sundays starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over at twitch.tv slash Mark B. Writing. Where can they find you at, Hamish? Well, uh, the, the first place I'd probably say would be uh, my YouTube channel, Writing on Games. That's just youtube.com slash writing on games. Uh, I also do a podcast with my with one of your previous guests, Nico Blakely. Uh, it's called The Writing on Games Cast. You can search that on iTunes, and it's available on most most Android things, I guess. I don't know. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Hamble Black. So yeah. Alrighty. Well, once again, thank you very much for everyone out there listening. And join us next week when our topic will be How Will Reviews Be Different After the Robot Apocalypse? On behalf of Hamish Black, this is Mark B. Writing saying, stay safe out there, junkers.